I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Next is now. So what is next? We're all getting ready for the weekend, uh, so we're going to look forward into your weekend and give you a couple things to think about in the next two segments. Uh, many of you have heard uh, some of my conversations uh, with Greg McEwen, who is a best-selling author. Uh, his book, Essentialism, uh, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, is so powerful. He has a new book uh, coming out called Effortless, Make It Easy to Do What Matters. And so as we look at what is next coming up into your weekend, uh, here's my conversation with uh, Greg McEwen on some things that you might want to focus on that are essential and effortless rolling into your weekend. Very pleased to be joined today by Greg McEwen. Uh, he is the author uh, first uh, of something you'll all be familiar with, Essentialism. And my favorite part is the subtitle, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. He has a new book out, Effortless, Make It Easier to Do What Matters Most. And uh, Greg, one, thanks for joining us. As always, uh, I can't wait for this conversation to, to roll out and see where we go. And uh, congratulations on the new book, it's great to be with you again. Thank you, Boyd. Well, you know, we, we left off our discussion uh, a few months ago in terms of me getting my act together and uh, having a, <laughs> a much more disciplined pursuit. And, and I realized the real challenge was that you and I recorded these things and then my wife listened to these things. And then I was doubly, I was on the hook to report back to you. And Debbie was holding me accountable for uh, doing what I said I was going to do. So uh, Yeah, that, that was an an awkward moment. <laughs> I don't know what deal Other you two people... have struck, but <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing was a setup, right? I mean, it was just it was just she and I getting together to to figure out how we could help Boyd. And that's that's the whole thing. Everyone's in on it. That's right. Well, we appreciate that, and it uh, it has does done wonders for me. I w I will say that. And so let's let's do this just for our listeners. Let's let's catch everyone up a little bit. Let's start with essentialism uh, and begin with that, and then I want to dive into some of the newer work that you're doing and uh, just how powerful that of course. is. Um, I mean, essentialism is, if you had to summarize that book in one word, I would say it's prioritization. Mm. Uh, it's figuring out, you know, what is essential in your life, eliminating everything else that you possibly can so that you can do the things that matter most to you. And fortunately, it seems to have connected with people. And, and I think that's because a lot of people feel busy, but not necessarily productive, mm -hmm. stretch too thin at work or at home, uh, and that their days are just often hijacked by other uh, other people's agenda for them. Yeah. That's essential. Yeah. Uh, um, we, we, uh, we took it to three words at my house. Uh, we just call it less but better. 
that's that's exactly it. That's really the core of it, less but better. And you can apply it in all sorts of ways. You can apply it to your schedule, um, but you can also apply it to any set of decisions that you want to make in life because that's what it is. It's a, a mindset, a framework where you're yeah. being really selective and thoughtful about what you do uh, so that it's a quality over quantity type approach. Yeah, uh, and and so less but better is a, is a great summary. Yeah, and, we, and we've really used that uh, not just in you know individually, but at work in the community. There are so many things when you're in a, a business meeting to to really get to okay, what's the essential nature of what we're doing, the task, the challenge, this meeting, and getting people to start to think different in terms of what is essential and how do we achieve less but better. Uh, I tell you, it's it's transformed a lot of the meetings that I'm in and the meetings I conduct uh, as we try to get to that essential component. And uh, I think just that application, I know you've seen that as you've worked with uh, organizations large and small and individuals from all kinds of professions uh, around the world. Yes, I have found that. And, and it's because a lot of Teams, well-intended teams, fall into the undisciplined pursuit of more, where everything starts to feel equally important. And so people start saying with no sense of irony at all, you know, here are my 34 priorities. They all are important. They all have to be done now. They all have to be done yesterday. And, I mean, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s, and it was singular. You know, what is the priority? Uh, and it stayed singular, according to Peter Drucker, for the next 500 years. It's just become a strange thing that we all talk of priorities so freely. Can you really have very, very many, very first before all other things things? And so this pursuit of less but better just means keeping on coming back to that question. But of all these things, what's essential? Of all these things, what's the priority? If you could only achieve one thing, what would it be? Being able to have that conversation is that, that where, where often people don't. They just jump into a meeting, just jump into the activity as if everything is equally valuable, yeah. when actually a few things are exceptionally valuable, and most stuff is actually just noise. Yeah, and I think when we when we make every when we do get as you said to the priorities where we're making everything uh, the number one, it, it's sort of the reverse of the uh, the Incredibles. Everybody's special, so nobody's special. <laughs> if if everything is a priority, nothing's a priority. Uh, or or maybe it's like the airlines; they make everybody a you know platinum medallion, diamond something something, and I still end up sitting in the middle seat at the back of the plane. <laughs> Well, that's it exactly. Is that is that as soon as you try to make everything important and everything's equally important, then you start making just a millimeter progress in a million different directions, and what you get as a result is sometimes motion sickness without momentum. Yes, uh, because you're you're just trying to do it all, and and we we've been conned into believing that that is what. Uh, that that is possible, that if you can just fit it all in, then you can have it all. Uh, and that really just, you know, turns out to be a lie. And so that's inconvenient <laughs> uh, so, because then when people are trying to do this, whatever the motives are, they just end up, uh, you know, exhausted yes. uh, and and still not enjoying their experience and still they can't do everything. Yeah. You know, this non-essentialism, which is the enemy of essentialism, it just doesn't deliver what it says on the packaging. Yeah. And if people, 
if everything's working for people right now, if saying yes to everyone and everything without really thinking about it is working, I always say, well, keep going. You know, by all means, ignore essentialism. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. In fact, you might even double down on it. Because uh, yeah. exhaustion don't is awesome. At, yeah. don't, <laughs> don't sleep at all. Uh, what I've learned really is that when this conversation doesn't happen, a conversation with yourself, you know, if you're not having a meeting with yourself, you've got Zoom meetings with everybody else, yeah. but no meeting for yourself, that's just going to produce a predictable outcome. If you're not having a conversation with other people around what is most important, what's essential, it's predictable what will happen. You'll get overcommitted and you'll start to plateau in your progress. So now you're putting in the energy, but you're not getting the output that you want to have. Yeah. And that really leads us to, to your next book, to, to Effortless. Uh, because once you do start paring that down, I, it's one of the things that I discovered is as I started to remove things, uh, one, you can you can breathe a little better. Your chest isn't nearly as tight. Your shoulders aren't nearly as heavy every morning when you get out of bed. Uh, but then there's there's still kind of that moment of wait a minute I think I've I think I've really pared things down I think I've got to the essential but man I'm still in overdrive I'm still working too long too hard traveling too much um, and that's where you start to looking at well how do we make it easier to do to do those things that matter most Yes that's right so if if essentialism one word prioritization then effortless one word summary is simplification mm. and I think of them as being standalone books, um, standalone ideas. Somebody could, could read Effortless who's never read Essentialism, and I think that they, uh, hopefully they will get something substantive out of it. That was important to me. Yeah. But I also really see them as being, uh, you know, stronger together. They're cousins. But, you know, if I use a British example, it's like Paul McCartney and John Lennon both created music separately, but the magic happened when they were, you know, playing together, creating music together in the Beatles. And and that's a, a grandiose example, but I think that effortless and essentialism work together better than they do separately. Yeah. All right, stay with us. Much more of my conversation with Greg McEwen. We've gone from essentialism, less but better. Now we're going to talk about effortless, really getting to simplification. We'll give you some strategy, strategies for that uh, coming up in the next segment here on a Friday on Inside Sources. Stay with us here on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you on a Friday. I am Boyd Matheson, and we've been talking about essentialism, really learning how to do less but better, uh, and also uh, extending that conversation with Greg McEwen uh, with his new book, Effortless, uh, which is really about helping us make those things that are essential easier to do and getting into a state where that can happen. So here's more of my conversation with Greg McEwen. How do we make it easier to focus? Uh, I always say focus precedes success in anything you're doing. Uh, and you've taken a really interesting approach to make sure you're creating that focus. I wrote the book because life is hard yeah. in all sorts of ways for all sorts of people. In addition to that sort of inherent hardness, we often make things even harder than they need to be. Uh, we overthink things. We're perfectionist about things that don't need to 
that kind of treatment. The consequence of all of that is that we can burn out and still not have the results that we were trying to pursue. Um, what my position is in this new book is that we can make a different choice that by seeking after the virtuous but easier path, we can actually get the results we're trying to achieve without burning out. And as you say now, if we move into like, well, a little bit of the how, one of the important discoveries as I was researching and writing the book is that there is, is a relationship between three things. The state that you're in, in a sense, that might be the most important thing in life is what state are you in in this moment? Yeah. Uh, that state affects the actions you take and the actions you take affect, of course, the results that you receive. I mean, I sort of think there's only two kinds of states you can be in. And one is a state of suffering and the other state, what I'm calling the effortless state. Mm. And a state of suffering is where you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're burdened with outdated assumptions, you're holding grudges, you're angry, you're, uh, you're fearful, this, you're exhausted. And as soon as you're in that state, you tend to act in overcomplicated ways. Maybe somebody, they, they don't feel fully worthy, so they're, they're always trying to go the extra mile, even when it's not necessary. Right. Um, I, I remember working with somebody... Actually, she's a, a, a manager at BYU. The department she's in has doubled the number of students, uh, uh, but not increased resources over a period of time. She, in addition to just that external burden, has a set of assumptions internally that are like this. If she's not exhausted, she's not doing enough. And she believes that. Yeah. And she's up till 4 a.m. in the morning photoshopping for young women's the next day. No one's asking her to do that. No one's expecting her to do that. That's internal. Mm. Uh, if she eats lunch, she feels guilty. And that's sort of where we, where we find her in the, the journey. That's when I was doing a little coaching with her. Uh, and you can see that all of that's going to affect the results you get because those results are not going to be sustainable because sometimes you're just completely burned out. And sometimes, you, you know, it affects this, it affects the quality of the relationships you're getting and the ongoing relationships you can achieve. Mm -hmm. So version two is this, this, what I'm calling the effortless state that produces effortless action and effortless results. And one of the things I said to her is I said, listen, the next time someone asks you to do something, don't take on the whole world. Don't try and change everything based upon the conversation we're having. Just ask one question. Is there an effortless way to do this? So she gets a call from one of the professors who says, look, I've got, uh, I'd like you to come and get your vid videography team to come and record my class for the semester. And she is ready to go because, you know, she knows if she's not, not doing enough, she's not exhausted, she isn't doing enough. And so she's going to get her whole team there. They'll have multiple angles, videos going at the same time, intros and outros on the video that she's going to do. They'll add music. They'll edit it all together. Graphics. That's the path she normally goes down. She remembers the question, what if it could be effortless? What comes out of that is that it turns out it's only for one student who needs a few of the classes because he's got an athletic commitment uh, and can't make all of those classes. They come up with a solution that another student in the class would just record it on his phone and send it to him whenever this student's going to be missing it. Uh. The professor is delighted. The solution really works. And this manager just hangs up the phone and like, what just happened? That's four <laughs> months of effort with a whole team's work that has been completely removed and a 10-minute conversation. And it just opened her up to this idea that if you can change the state you know, from a different perspective, then you'll also be able to change the action. It was effortless action, and she got this effortless result. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a small example 
but it illustrates the power of, of asking a new question, right? Questions are the answer. That's so powerful. My oldest three are girls, uh, and when they were young, uh, they watched uh, The Sound of Music more times than any human should, which means I also participated <laughs> more times than any yeah. human. We, we actually yeah. went through two of the old VHS copies, but there is a line, wow. there is a line in there that is very pertinent to this conversation. And it's this scene where Captain Von Trapp and the Baroness are out on the veranda and she's buttering him up with how important he is. And he has all these parties and meetings and events. And the captain just pauses and he delivers this most awesome line ever. He says, activity only suggests a life filled with importance. And that still echoes in my head all the time. It's what you were saying earlier, Greg, in terms of, you know, motion versus forward movement. I, I've really kind of grasped onto that as the, the first essence of this whole thing is that you, you've got to create that state if you're ever going to get to the effortless action and, and the byproduct, which, of course, is the effortless results. So much acti activity is unnecessary in, in essentialism. I, I had a little phrase in there that one of the researchers that helped me with effortless uh, course onto, and it was just because he was invited to a meeting didn't wasn't a good enough reason for going to it. And we built on that in effortless because it's like just because you're asked to do A doesn't mean you have to do X, Y, and Z as well. Right. So if, for example, you're asked to give a presentation, that's not the same as being asked to do slides, mm -hmm. to do handouts, to do a, a pre-run of it, uh, to follow what people afterwards. I mean, like you can, there's so many bells and whistles you can add to things. And actually that's not what's been called for. Mm. And the risk over time is that you, you add and add complexity and it can start, all of it can start to seem like, well, that's, that is all necessary because that's what we did last time. And complexity grows in this way. I mean, I had this experience once where this is a lighthearted example, but there's a deeper message in it. I was staring at myself head to toe, uh, dressed in a stormtrooper costume in a Halloween store. <laughs> and I'm like, have this out-of-body moment like, how did you get here? <laughs> uh, and so in that moment, I thought there's no part of me that wants to buy this costume. It's expensive and just, I'm not interested. So why am I here? And I realized that I'm there because 30 years before Return of the Jedi is coming out and while well, we're watching it, there's the hype around this movie. And one of my older brothers said, you know, wouldn't it be so cool to get a movie quality Stormtrooper costume? And something internally, I had held on to that. Yes, that would be cool for 30 years. A part of my subconscious is still holding on to that burden well past the point where I even wanted it. It was still <laughs> tapping on me. And so that's become a bit of a, a, a shorthand in my family where my wife, Anna, will say to me if she sees that I'm sort of getting hyper-focused on something, she'll say, look, is, that, is it a stormtrooper? Mm. Is that a goal that's outlived its usefulness? But it's not just goals that outlive their usefulness. It's ideas too. Yeah. Ideas that we've had when... You know, we picked up a lesson when we were three years old, four years old, five years old in our family of origin. And we carry these burdens with us. And so this is why I think that the first thing to, to do is to always to come back to this state. It's like the, the effortless state always exists inside of us, but it's so cluttered and burdened with all these unnecessary thought patterns, what, what my friend John Acuff calls soundtracks, all of these broken soundtracks that we've got. Mm. And, and, and as we clear them away, as we remove them, 
grudges is a great example. As we remove these grudges, we start just to be in a more present, at-ease place. And in that at-ease place, we can discern what to do next better, and, and, and we're just in a better uh, psychological place to be able to actually take that action. Uh, it is a uh, an extraordinary book. Again, a companion, not necessarily a uh, sequential. I love the fact that each of these books stand on their own, essentialism and then effortless. Uh, again, they, they go together very powerfully, but they also stand alone. Greg, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be with you. Thank you, boy. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.